That is not an anthem we applaud for. That is an anthem that we bow before. Thank God for his mercy. This is a church that has declared both of those things. We are guilty before the Lord and we have a Christ who has saved us. This last year, we began a search for a pastor who would come to lead us in that ministry, a ministry of renewal that meets people right where they are. It says, but God loves you, God knows you, and God has saved you if you will receive that gift. We weren't sure, as I said in my bulletin, that we would be able to find someone like that. But we think God led us exactly to that when he brought Bill McDonald to us. This morning is the first time that he's going to preach for us. And uh, it's a daunting thing to get in front of all you people every week. I guarantee it. And it's particularly daunting to stand up for the first time before a new church. But I've told him, you're not a church that sits with your arms crossed like this, sitting back saying, prove yourself. You're a church that leans in and says, we're ready. So I'm going to expect the same of you this day as our newest pastor comes to bring the word that you're going to lean in and say, we're ready to receive what you have to say. And I wonder if you would start Bill off right by welcoming him to the pulpit of Chapel Hill. Well, thank you. It's great to be with you here this morning. And uh, I love our topic here over the fall. It's been wonderful. We've been talking about what it means to be a a disciple of Jesus who makes disciples of Jesus. Uh, That's really been something that's been uh, center center most in my ministry over the years. And uh, it's so wonderful to be able to just jump in and be part of a congregation that takes that to heart. You know, a couple months ago, the pastors were all away at Mark's place on the coast And we were thinking about, well, what is it, the Lord, that you want us to be preaching on here in the fall? And uh, I'm the lucky guy who drew the short straw in Sermon on the Mount to talk about adultery, lust, and divorce. (laughs) For my first talk, no less, at Chapel Hill. So I was feeling a little bit of self-pity, I'll be honest. I was feeling a little bit of self-pity about that. And then Pastor Mark told me that Jeremy Vercaro's first sermon was also on sex. And his in-laws were in the congregation when he gave that message. So I didn't feel so sorry for myself after that. This morning, though, I want to talk about authentic relationships, specifically about authentic marriage relationships. The dictionary defines authentic to mean real, to mean genuine, to mean bona fide, legitimate. An authentic marriage is one that shines like a light on a hill. It gives encouragement and inspiration and direction to others who are also married. In the last church where I was, uh, that couple was Erwin and Margaret Gamber. Erwin and Margaret were over 90 years of age, and they had been married 65 years. And seriously, every time they came into the congregation, there was a certain, there was a certain uh, warmth, power, love, um, we, those of us who are younger, we wanted to be like them because of the gracious, merciful, patient way that they dealt with each other. I mean, you're gonna, you know, over 90, you know, you're not hearing quite so well and things aren't quite working so well. And yet they had this marvelous grace with each other that we just found, we found very compelling. And we all used to say, I want to be like Erwin and Margaret when I get older. 
And I understand here at Chapel Hill, we kind of have that version here with Ray and Patty Payne, if they're here this morning. Um, you know, the world desperately needs to see authentic marriage relationships. They're very powerful, and they draw people to Christ. David Allen Hubbard, who used to be the president of Fuller Seminary, he used to say that um, a God-honoring uh, God marriage is our greatest, witnesses, greatest witness that we are disciples of Christ. Isn't that wonderful? Don't we all long for authentic relationships like that? Jesus tells us how here in our scripture this morning. He says, You've heard that it was said, Do not commit adultery. But I tell you, anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. It has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you, anyone who divorces his wife, except for marital unfaithfulness, causes her to become an adulteress. And anyone who marries the divorced woman commits adultery. This is the word of the Lord. Jesus tells us what we need to know concerning an authentic marriage relationship. He says we have to guard our marriage, specifically in the area of lust. What does Jesus mean when he talks about lust? You must not look at another woman with lust. You know, it, it might surprise you, but it's not bad to look at a woman or a man and say, wow, Lord, what a beautiful person, what a beautiful man or woman uh, that you've created. Because God is the creator of all beautiful things. That's not what Jesus is talking about. What Jesus is really getting at here is when we have this focus, this fixation on another person, a kind of a staring, an ogling, if you will, that is a willful, sustained looking. What we would really describe as staring. Staring with the intent to possess. You know, when this happens, the other person ceases to become a human being in our mind and becomes a sexual, an object of our desire. He or she becomes fuel for our passions, kindling for the fire of lust. We all know that lust is the opposite of love. To lust is self-taking. We seek to gratify the desires of our flesh. To love someone, on the other hand, is self-giving. Love seeks the good of the other. Love gives away, and love, lust, takes for oneself. I once attended a men's group that was dealing with sexual integrity. And one of the men in the group described what I thought captured the essence of most men's battle when it comes to lust. He said, I long for the day when I stop objectifying women. And I thought he really nailed it. Lust is looking at a woman or a man simply as a sexual object to gratify one's own sexual fantasies and desires for pleasure. And that's what Jesus is talking about when he talks about lust. Jesus commands his followers to be absolutely ruthless when it comes to this issue of lust. 
He says, treat lust as if it were a cancer with immediate, swift, decisive action. No passivity, no delayed response. Instead, immediate surgery for removal or amputation. Gouge out the eye, cut off the limb. It's better for you, Jesus says, to go into heaven with one eye or one limb than it is to go into heaven with your full, than to go into hell with your whole body intact. Now, of course, Jesus was talking figuratively here. He doesn't want us to dismember ourselves. Uh, if that were the case, there'd be a lot of us walking around with missing parts. But Jesus does not want us to underestimate the, the power, the destructive power of lust, both in marriage and in single relationships. So this morning, what I want to talk about or focus on is how do we deal with this all-too-familiar demon of lust? Uh, I'm going to feed you this morning some M&Ms. Five of them, actually. If any of you here are English teachers, you'll appreciate these uh, alliteration with all these M's. The first M is to make a commitment to daily live within sexual, with sexual integrity by God's grace. 1 Corinthians 10.13 says, The wrong desires that come into your life aren't anything new and different. Many others have faced exactly the same problems before you. No temptation is irresistible. God will show you how to escape. I personally find this verse in Corinthians here incredibly reassuring. First of all, it says that we all face temptation. You're tempted, I'm tempted. It's one of the oldest problems in the world since Adam and Eve. It's not a sin to be tempted. It's a sin to give in to our temptations. But this verse says that God will provide a way out. You have to just be willing to take it. And I think that's where this first M comes in. We have to make a commitment in our heart to live with sexual integrity each day of our life. You know, Job did that. Job said, I made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully at a girl. Job 31.1. And you know, until we actually make that commitment in our heart to say, hey, lust is wrong. Uh, I'm not going to, to be halfway on this. Until we make that commitment to, be, to have a full commitment, a covenant with God that we're not going to do this, uh, lust is going to have control over us. So that's the first M. The second M is to manage your mind. Manage your mind. We need to understand how temptation works. James says, temptation is the pull of our own evil thoughts and wishes. These thoughts lead to evil actions. The battle with lust starts in our minds. We need to guard our minds. One way to do that that I've found really helpful is the principle of replacement. When somebody introduced this concept of principle of replacement, it really helped me with this whole thing. Lust is just a thought. It's an image. It's something that can be replaced in our mind. As soon as a lustful thought comes in your mind, change the channel. It's like you're going to the television set. Change the channel. Replace it with a positive thought, a clean thought. I used to kind of be the, you know, I, I, I used to tell myself, you know, I'm not going to fall into temptation. I'm not going to succumb to this, this lust. And I found that the fixation on that actually made lust stronger. Rather, to just replace the thought with a clean thought, with a good thought, will help us in that regard. And I think that's kind of what Paul's getting at here in Romans 12 too. He says, do not be conformed to this world. 
he says, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We constantly must be renewing our mind, day by day, moment by moment, especially when it comes to things like the images that we think about in our minds. We have to learn to manage our minds. We have to learn to choose what it is that we think about. Paul says in Corinthians, he says, take every thought and make it obedient to Christ. It's a discipline we have to learn. It doesn't come easily, especially in a, in a society that's saturated with sexual images. And that leads me to the third point, which is to monitor your media intake. So we have to make a commitment to lead lives of sexual purity. We have to manage our minds, but we also have to monitor our media intake. And that's so hard in the world that we live in today. We're bombarded by visual and verbal stimulation every day. Lust is big business. Madison Avenue found that out long, long time ago. It's so powerful that David said in Psalm 101, he said, I will set no vile thing before my eyes. We wonder why David is called a man after God's own heart, even though David was, himself was full of failures. He recognized that what he sets his mind on, what he sets his eyes on, are the things that control him. So that if, if we're serious about this whole issue that we're talking about this morning, we really have to monitor our, our intake of whether it's TV or, or technology or what have you. You know, some of you are going to kind of laugh when, when I tell you this, but I've actually started to enjoy watching Hallmark movies. You know, I know it's... My wife actually laughs at me about this. Um, they're sap, sappy and they're totally predictable. But um, if you're a romantic, an irrepressible romantic, and I'm sure some of you in here in this group are, um, you don't have to worry about the images. And that's what I like. That's what I appreciate. I can actually relax and not have to worry about the images that are coming into my mind. Because Scripture says that what you allow into the gate of your mind will go into your soul. So it's contradictory to say, well, I'm going to manage my mind. God, uh, help me to replace the images that come into my mind. But at the same time, I'm feeding my mind unhelpful images. We work, we work against ourselves. So we have to learn to manage our mind, but we also have to control what we allow into our minds. I think the fourth M is probably the most effective way that we can deal with lust if this is an issue that's, that's really difficult for you, and that is um, to make confession to a brother or sister in Christ a regular habit. Now, my following comments are probably some of the most important things I'm going to say here in this message, so I'd like you to pay attention to this. James 5.16 says, Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another, and you'll be healed. Now, here's the truth. If you want to be forgiven for anything, confess it to God. If you want to be healed from destructive habits and compulsions, then confess them to another brother or sister and pray about them. Do you hear the difference? Herein lies the power to be set free. There is something about telling another person our besetting sins that releases and breaks the power of that sin. Confession to another person combined with prayer helps break the power of destructive habits and compulsions that have power over us. You know, that's why cel uh, ministries like Celebrate Recovery are so powerful. Because men and women get together, and basically what they're saying is, this is my struggle, 
this is what I struggle with, and they're telling other people of the same sex, and they're praying for each other, and they're finding power to overcome whatever those compulsions and habits that they have. I kind of refer to this myself as just eating humble pie. Humble pie may not taste really good, but it's really good for your spiritual life. It trims down the ego. It breaks the enemy's grip over every area that we struggle with, especially things like lust. So, if you're serious about this issue uh, in your life, and it's, it's been one of those besetting sins that you've been dealing with all your life, there's some things that you can do to really help break the power of this in your life. And one of the most important is to share with another brother or sister and to pray for each other. The final M that I want to talk about this morning is to maintain your marriage. We can't have authentic marriages if we're not working to maintain and build up our marriage. Proverbs 5, 18 and 19 says, Rejoice in your wife. Let her charms and her tender embrace satisfy you. Let her love alone fill you with delight. I hope for those of you that have been married a long time that your spouse fills you with delight more now than he or she did when you were first married. You know, it's really true that the grass is not greener on the other side. The grass is greener where you water it. Since there's so much water here in the Northwest, marriages should be really good. <laughs> but you really do have to tend your marriage garden, uh, keeping, uh, keep dating your spouse. You need to spend a lot of time with each other. Um, it's, it's, it's a high, it's, it has to be a high priority to have an authentic marriage relationship. The way that we spell love is T-I-M-E. To have that kind of relationship requires a lot of time. But the payoff is awesome because an authentic marriage is a gift that keeps on giving. So let me ask you a question this morning for those of you who are married. And I'm saying, I'm basically addressing married couples because that's who Jesus is addressing here in his words and Sermon on the Mount. The question is, are you happier today in your marriage than you were when you first got married? Jenny and I are happier, I'm happy to say, after 28 years of marriage now than we were when we first got started. But, I want to say the but as a caveat, it didn't come cheaply. It required a lot of work. But it's worth it. If your marriage is happier today than it was when you first got married, then congratulations to you. Whatever you're doing, keep on doing it. If it's not happier today than when you first got married, or you're not sure, then I want you to consider the following. Sign up to take the How We Love Marriage Seminar that we offer in the winter. This is really going to help heal your marriage and strengthen your relationship with your spouse. If you're in a, if you're in a situation where you need help right now, then I suggest number two. And that is to call the church and to ask to meet with one of the trained marriage counselor couples that we have at Chapel Hill, which is an amazing resource that not all churches have. Unfortunately, very often what happens is this. Re marriage relationships struggle, 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 struggle. And by the time couples ask for help, it's almost too late. They're in crisis mode. I truly believe that any marriage can be healed if people are willing to forgive, to love, and to work on the relationship. But it has to be mutual. Both parties have to enter it into that, and you have to have love, forgiveness, and the commitment to work on it. 
Our vision for renewal ministries here at the church is to see the renewal ministries normalized in the life of the church. And what I mean by normalized is that there should be no stigma attached to people who seek out counseling or help for marriage relationships, for personal issues, for anything in their life. Because honestly, we're all broken people. And we know that. We just need to get over the, the, the hang out the pride that we have of asking for help. Healing was a normal part of Jesus' ministry. Jesus said, it's not the healthy that I came for, it's the sick. He came to heal the sick. And honestly, we're all a little bit sick, if we'll just admit it. Otherwise, we wouldn't be here in the morning. We know our need for a Savior. The last thing that I want to share with you this morning, um, it, it, it's, it's a tough topic. But it's something that we all need to be aware of. And it concerns the tsunami of pornography in our nation and in our church. According to Covenant Eyes, which is an online accountability organization, 50% of Christian men and 20% of Christian women say they are addicted to internet pornography. Now, even if we took those numbers and divided them in half, that's still one out of four men and one out whatever, 10% of the women. Google says that, word, that on their word search for the words porn, XXX, and sex will equal 84 million hits per hour by the end of 2014. You know, they can, they can follow those statistics. These are stats that are coming from Christian Counseling Today, which is a very reputable uh, Christian magazine. From a spiritual and a psychological perspective, pornography is ravaging the health of our souls, both in the church and as a nation. Pornography, however, is not the root problem. It's a symptom of deeper issues in people's lives, symptoms of emotional brokenness, uh, a misguided search for intimacy, unresolved hurt, physical, sexual abuse, abandonment, guilt, and unforgiveness. The topic that doesn't get as much press in that regard is Facebook. Facebook's another vehicle that people use to satiate their pain. It's not to say that all Facebook is wrong. It's not. But people often become involved in inappropriate online relationships through Facebook. I so appreciated the songs that we've been singing this morning reminding us of God's grace and I'm going to share a scripture, another scripture that reminds us of this because this is one of the hardest topics that we have to talk about because our sexuality is something that goes to the core of who we are and we all deal with it. Romans 8.1 says, Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I think there are so many people that have not internalized, so many Christians that have not internalized the truth of this message that there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Maybe that's part of the reason that's so difficult for people to step forward with things that they struggle with. I also know that God doesn't want us to stay stuck in a cycle of brokenness and sin. He wants to heal our brokenness. So today, I've asked um, some Celebrate Recovery leaders, some lay counselors, and some marriage counselors to come down front here after the service and to be available to you for you to talk to them. 
The prayer team is also going to be coming up front. And in fact, at the end of my message, I'd just like you all, the prayer team and the counselors and all, to just, just come on front. You know, your next step in becoming a fully devoted, fully surrendered follower of Jesus may be to get the emotional healing that you need in your life. That may be the thing that's tripping you up from growing further in your walk with God. If you're continually saying or doing something over and over again that you know is wrong or that doesn't please God, and yet you don't seem to have the power or the control over that thing, then I want to encourage you today to be courageous and come up. Come forward and talk to somebody and pray with one of the Lord's servants this morning. This is not a quick fix. This is about our souls. This is about the healing of our souls. And we want to have healthy souls as as we follow Jesus. We know that we're becoming more and more like Christ throughout this earth. And we'll never be fully like Jesus on this earth. But he wants us to take the tangible steps that are necessary in order to become more like him. So let's take a few moments now, just in the quietness of our hearts, and allow the Lord to speak to you. All I need and trust is the deep, deep love of Jesus. Sing it from your heart. Everyone, let's stand and sing it. Oh, the deep, deep love. All I need and trust is the deep, deep love of Jesus. I want to invite, again, the counselors to come down, the prayer team to come down, folks on that are on, come on down, come on down. Now, I, I'll just be honest here. I know there, there are people here in this house. I am not going to come down this morning to talk to anybody or to have somebody pray with. I am just not going to do that. Well, if you're not going to do that, that's fine. But I do invite you to give me a call during the week or to call one of our marriage counselors during the week and to do that because you want health, complete health, not 95% health. You want 100% health in your life with Christ. Don't settle for 95% or 90% or 80%. Settle only for 100%. God wants that for you. He wants to fill your life with his peace and his joy and his fullness. And when you begin to deal with these things and there's, there's healing that happens, your lives are going to be transformed. And the people that you live with are going to notice that and they're going to, they're going to celebrate not only for you, but they're going to glorify God as well. So let's lift up our hands here this morning for the benediction. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord's face shine upon you. The Lord be gracious unto you both now and forevermore. Amen. And Colossians 3.17 is, And whatever you do, in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus giving thanks to the Father through him. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week.